But we saw in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation that what God does for us is he spells out in an outline fashion. He spells out for us the church age. He brings us through seven periods of church history that are represented in the seven letters that you find there. We are now presently living in that seventh period that concludes in chapter 3 and verse 22. You'll notice that when this period, this period of time that we're presently living in, when this period has concluded, we will find ourselves in the midst of Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. What you have in chapter 4 and verse 1 is the event that is called the rapture of the church. I don't know if I didn't mention this. If you didn't get a study sheet, why don't you get your hand in the air? I think they're prepared to do that. But we've got to keep moving here. Okay, the rapture is found in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, if that's a new term for you, what the rapture is, it is that event that will bodily remove off of the face of this planet in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, every single person who has entered into a personal relationship with God through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. They will just absolutely vanish from our midst and be transported into heaven. And that's what takes place in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. Then in the rest of chapter 4, John describes for us, as this event happened to him, he describes all of the things that are in heaven. Then in chapter 5 and verse 1, you'll notice in that first verse that we have presented to us a seven-sealed book. We've studied and we've cross-referenced through the Word of God, and we found that that represents the title deed of the earth. And that book, that seven-sealed book, begins to be opened in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1. The Lamb, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, begins to open the seals, and as he begins to open those seals, what begins to unfold down on the earth is the tribulation period. That's what's going on. And so what he does in chapter 6 is God gives to John a panorama of the tribulation. What he does is he just gives John the high points of the entire tribulation period from beginning to end. We saw in chapter 7 then, that chapter 7 forms a parenthesis. What God is showing John in chapter 7 are events that were taking place during the panorama of chapter 6 when he was bringing him through the tribulation period. Chapter 7 is all about the sealing of that infamous group of people called the 144,000, the 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he allowed John to see a numberless multitude of people who were converted to Christ because of the, or through the ministry of this 144,000. And then in chapter 8, and verse 1, the seventh seal is open. Now remember back in chapter 5 and verse 1. Now listen very carefully because I, I think there's a lot of you that have been here every week that have not fully grasped this just yet. Back in chapter 5 and verse 1, we were introduced to that seven-sealed book. Six of those seals were opened in chapter 6. There is still that seventh seal. That seventh seal is opened in chapter 8 and verse 1. Now remember, when we came through chapter 6 and he opened those six seals, it encompassed the entire tribulation period, but there was still one more seal. And when the Lamb opened the, the seventh seal, 
What happened is when he opened that seventh seal, it revealed something else to John. It revealed seven angels who were sounding seven trumpets. Now, let me explain it to you this way. Just pretend that up here on the platform, we have, we have seven gift boxes that are up here. Okay, there's seven of them. Those are going to represent for us those seven seals. We come to the first one, and we open that thing up, and bam, there's one thing in it. It's the revelation of the Antichrist. That was that first seal. Remember that? Okay, then we go to the second one, and then the third one. And each one of these is showing some other dimension of the tribulation period. We get to that sixth one, and the whole kit and caboodle is done. The whole tribulation period has been unfolded in a panoramic fashion for us. But this seventh one is still there. Now, if it's already fulfilled, if all of the tribulation period is already done, and what's in this seventh? We come to the seventh one, and we open that seventh seal, and we begin to take it out, and what we find is that there are seven things in this seventh box, in this seventh seal. What these seven things are, are the seven angels that are going to blow the seven trumpets, and what is represented in these seven angels with these seven trumpets is God is once again going to bring us through the tribulation period in a more graphic fashion, covering the same ground he did in the six, but now he's going to go into more detail. He's going to go into really the last three and a half years of the, of the tribulation period. Now, you follow that? You understand that? Okay, thanks. Appreciate that. All right. Now, we went through the sounding of the first uh, four trumpets last week. And we, we saw some just some absolutely horrendous stuff. And by the time it was all over, we saw that, that ecologically, what God did in those first four trumpets, he just absolutely bombards this planet with nuclear-like destruction and devastation. And we saw that the, the, the first judgment, the sounding of that first trumpet, wiped out, the Bible says, a third of the trees on the planet and all of the Earth's vegetation. The second judgment caused a, a third of the, the marine life to be destroyed and a third of the ships that would obviously be carrying the, the world's food supply, not to mention the, the, the world's uh, oil supply. The third angel sounds, and at least a third of the world's water supply becomes poison, and then the fourth judgment comes, and a third of the light of the sun and the moon and the stars is d diminished, and both the, the day and the night are reduced by a third, the Bible says, so rather than a 24-hour cycle during the tribulation period at this time, they begin to work off a 16-hour cycle. And by this time... If you were living on this planet, and most of the people, praise the Lord, that are in this room this morning, are not going to be on this planet when all of these things begin to take place, but some of you will, and at this period of time, just through the opening of these, or the, the sounding of these first four trumpets, the earth is going to be thrown, I mean, we're going through them right now, we're just going through the review and we're just calling out these things, but you've got to understand that the world is going to be thrown into just absolute, total panic and chaos and fear, I mean, the, the famine and the thirst that is going to be in just absolutely engulfing this planet, the death and the fear of death on this planet is going to affect every single person 
who is on this planet. And John sees all of these things taking place when all of a sudden John says in verse 13 of chapter 8, it says, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Whoa! 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 Now this is not like when you're riding on the horses. Whoa! This is a, a term of absolute anguish and, and, and grief and misery. He is saying, oh my, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpets which are yet to sound. In, in other words, what he is saying is those first four trumpets were, were bad. But these next three are, are so much more devastating that you, you can't even believe it. And the angel calls them woes, which would have been in John's vocabulary. It would have been the strongest word he would have been able to, to speak of uh, concerning something that would be, be terrible. In other words, the angel comes along and he says, these next three, they're horrendous, they're, they're terrible, they're... These are diabolical, they're horrific. I mean, they're the worst you can imagine. That's, that's what John is hearing. Now, John would have been watching as these first four trumpets were sounding, watching all of this stuff, and I'm sure, folks, he would have been absolutely blown away seeing all of this stuff. And then when this angel comes along and says, but this ain't nothing, I'm telling you, it would have taken John back. It's going to take this world back. So now understand something else here. As we come to these last three trumpets, these last three trumpets are the first three woes. Okay? Now don't let that confuse you. It's on your study sheet. And if you'll just write it you'll, and be able to see it there, you'll have it. The sounding of the fifth trumpet is the first woe. The sounding of the sixth trumpet is the second woe. And the sounding of the seventh trumpet is the third woe. See how fast you are? Okay, now this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at the sounding of this fifth trumpet, or this first woe, and so you can begin to get an idea of just, I'm telling you folks, just how absolutely freaky this is. What I want to do is I, I want to just read the passage so that you at least understand where we're going and then we'll... We'll go back and we'll try to see if we can make heads or tails of it. Chapter 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locust upon the earth and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power and it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth neither any green thing neither any tree but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads and to them it was given that they should not kill them but that they should be tormented five months and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh the man. 
And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men, and they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions, and they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Now, Lord, as we come to this incredible chapter this morning, we recognize that according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that this book transcends human intellect and human reasoning and human hearing and thinking. This is a book that must be revealed to us, and you've explained very specifically how we have this book revealed to us as we compare Scripture with Scripture. And so this morning, we, we want you to help us to understand this chapter, not just to satisfy our intellectual curiosities so that we might have impressed upon each one of us the urgency of the hour in which we live. So now, Lord, would you please do your work in, in all of our hearts. We pray that through this message today, that people that are here that have never entered into a personal relationship with you, that this would be the day that they would receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you'll, you'll notice in verse 1 that it is the fifth angel that sounded. Now, last week, you remember, we went off on the number 7 in the Bible. Most of you were pretty familiar with, with that, but have you ever checked out the number 5 in the Bible? Have you ever, have you ever done any study there? I mean, it's an incredible thing. The, the number five in the Bible is the number of death. And, and check this out. Here we are, and the fifth angel sounds, and in the fifth verse, men are tormented five months, and the next verse says, verse six, and in those days shall men seek what? Death. You know, it, it's interesting when you just kind of start backing off from this thing the first man who ever lived on this planet he died in the fifth chapter and in the fifth verse of the bible genesis 5 5 and you remember when we were back in Gen uh, revelation chapter 4 when we were talking about the four beasts that were around the throne and you remember we went back into the book of ezekiel and we found that that those four beasts that we find around the throne in Revelation chapter 4, those four beasts, according to the book of Ezekiel, are cherubim. But the book of Ezekiel also told us something else about the fact that in eternity past, there was a fifth 
cherub. You, you remember us going into all of this? Hello? You just nod your head or, you know, do something, wake up. What? There was a fifth cherub, and he was above the throne. And, and who was he? Lucifer, right. And because of his pride, you remember, he lost his position. He lost his name. And that fifth cherub became who? He became Satan. He became the devil. And would you listen to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14? It says of him, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him, that had the power of death, that is, the devil. The fifth cherub is the one with the power of death. And you remember a few weeks ago, we, we, we talked about the altar of sacrifice in the tabernacle, the place where the priest would come and he would put the sacrifice to death. And do you know what the dimensions of that altar were according to Exodus chapter 27 and verse 1? They were five by five. The first death that is recorded in the church in the New Testament is found in Acts chapter 5 and verse 5. Three times in the book of 2 Samuel, someone is put to death. And you know how it was done? With a spear under the fifth rib. Christ suffered death on the cross. And have you ever noticed how many wounds he had? One in each hand, one in each foot. And then there was a fifth one from the spear in his side. No doubt under the fifth rib. You, you say, you know, that's, I, I, I don't go for all that stuff. You know what? I really don't care. I mean, it's not going it's, it's to make or break, you know, the, the, the message today. Really, I, I'm serious. If you, don't, if you think that's just a crock of baloney, no problem. You will have to admit, though, it is well worth looking into, isn't it? I mean, that is just pretty highly incredible. But in verse 1 of Revelation 9, John says, The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. Now, it's obvious that, that what John saw was not a, a literal star, as in twinkle, twinkle, little, you know. Because the rest of the verse uh, verse 1 says, And to him, speaking of the star, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit, and verse 2, and he opened the bottomless pit. Now, we, we've said so, so many times about the, the book of Revelation, really all of the Bible, when the literal sense makes plain sense, seek no other sense. That's just a, a little rule of thumb that you want to live by. In other words, the, the Word of God is always to be taken literally unless there is a reason that is clearly expressed in the context that would tell us to do otherwise. And here we have a perfect example of that. This is not a star like the sun is a star. I mean, you know, it's not like this, this literal star falls to the earth because if it did the earth would cease to exist because stars are much, 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 much more larger than the earth. 
But what you begin to see about this star that John says fell to the earth is that this star has a personality that is a he. This star is a, is a he. Verse 2 says, and he opened the bottomless pit. And that shouldn't be too weird for us, really, should it? Because do you know any stars like that? Michael Jordan is a basketball star, and uh, Barry Sanders is a football star, and Robert Redford is a movie star. And you see, and that's the way that the word is used here. In fact, we've already seen in the book of Revelation, look, look back in chapter 1, we've seen in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20 that the word star can refer to an angel. And even that shouldn't be too weird for us either because where, where did the stars in our country live? They live in the city of the angels, don't they? We just don't normally call it the angels. We call it by its Spanish rendering, right? Los Angeles. The angels, you know, where the stars live. But John... <clears throat> But John sees something here that he calls a star that falls from heaven to earth and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And the age-old question has been, who is this star? And there's all kinds of good reasons that many people give to believe that this is Satan. And then... There's other people completely on the other side who believe that it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you got all kinds of other people who have all other kind of speculations somewhere in between all of that. Uh, personally, I tend to believe that it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, first of all, I just cannot imagine that God would entrust to Satan the key to the bottomless pit. I mean, that just, uh, there's something about that that just makes me go berserk. I, I just cannot imagine the holy God of the universe giving him that kind of liberty, especially after what has taken place through the, the millenniums. Uh, back in chapter 1, you, most of you are probably still there, chapter 1 and verse 18, look at what it says that Jesus said. He said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. He's the one with the keys. And if you will, turn over to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, in verse 1, John says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And again, I believe that is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, but it, but it says right there that this was an angel. And I realize that. But in the Old Testament, when God was dealing specifically with the nation of Israel, you'll remember that there were many occasions when the Lord Jesus Christ appeared as the angel of the Lord. And during this period of time, when God will once again be dealing specifically with and through the nation of Israel again, it would be quite natural for God to use similar vocabulary that would be similar to what he used in the Old Testament times because it's going to be a whole lot like those then. And you'll notice in verse 2, 
that this angel of Revelation 20, that this angel laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. Now, first of all, no angel has that kind of power. Jude, in verse 9, says that even Michael, the archangel, wouldn't dare to even bring a railing accusation against Satan, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. And I guarantee you, if Michael, the archangel, doesn't have the power to bring a railing accusation against Satan, then I guarantee you that he doesn't have the power to bind him for a thousand years in the bottomless pit. But not only has the Lord Jesus Christ not given that, uh, that power to any other being, I, I don't believe that the Lord Jesus Christ would dare to give that privilege to any other being. I mean, binding Satan with a chain and casting Satan into the bottomless pit is a privilege reserved solely for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe he has waited for that event for the last 6,000 years, and I believe it's just real close to happening. He's the one with the key to the bottomless pit. And I don't think that comes as any surprise to the, the demons in the kingdom of darkness. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Turn back to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Now the context here in Matthew chapter 8 is the, the account of the maniac of Gadara. He is a demon-possessed man that has just absolutely freaked everybody out that lives anywhere close to him. He cuts himself. He screams like a, a, a howling animal at night. I mean, people just stay away as far away as they possibly can. And he's filled with demons, and these demons say to the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 29 of Matthew 8, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? And now watch this question. Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Now, there may, may be some folks that are here this morning who doubt whether Jesus Christ is going to come out on top of this thing, but let me just tell you, there's no doubt in the demon's mind. They know that it's just a matter of time. They know where it is, where they're going, they know who it is that's going to put them there. Are, are you going to torment us before the time? And turn over to Luke's account of this, this same story. Luke chapter 8. And again, it's, it's the same story, same man, same demons that we are just talking about in Matthew chapter 8. And in Luke 8, Jesus asked the man in verse 30, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him, verse 31, and they, that's the devils, besought him, Jesus, that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And you know what's interesting about the word deep there? It is the same exact word that we find in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 1 the bottomless pit you see the demons know who holds the key of the bottomless pit 
So for those reasons, I believe that the star back in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 1, you can be turning back there again, I believe that that star, the one who has been given the key of the bottomless pit, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll have to give me that if there's ever been a star who walked on this planet and deserved to be held in awe and adored and honored and idolized and worshipped in men's hearts, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, he's become the star in a lot of our lives. Amen? Praise the Lord. Jesus even said in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16, I am the bright and morning star. Now, again, you may not like that fifth gig that we went on. You may not even agree with me about the fact of who this star is in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 1. And, and I'll be honest with you. If you want to believe that it's Satan and you've got all the verses that you can find to back that up, I'm telling you, I really, I don't have any problem whatsoever. It, it's fine because nailing the identity of this star isn't going to change the outcome of this chapter. It, it, it really, it, it's, I mean, it, it's, I think it's an important thing to study because it's the word of God but the main point of this woe, the main point of this, this fifth trumpet that sounds from this fifth angel, this, this judgment, is that the bottomless pit is opened. Any way you slice it, I don't care who, who opens it, it opens during the tribulation period. And when it is, all of the unsealed men and women on this planet, and of course we saw in Revelation chapter 7, only the 144,000 Jews are sealed during the tribulation period. And during the tribulation period, these, when the bottomless pit opens, all of the unsealed men and women on this planet will have unleashed on them these, what we just read about just a few minutes ago, what I'm calling these demonic scorpion locust they come that bottomless pit opens and here these creatures come right out of the pit of hell now i want you to imagine with me this morning that, that we all you know we leave here in, in a couple of hours when i get done with this message and we some of you are like oh, i hope he doesn't mean that but we all leave here and we, we, we go home with Put on the TV and we hear on the news that they've opened all of the doors of every penitentiary, every prison, and every jail on the entire planet. They have set free the world's most vicious and violent criminals. And, and I mean, they've just given them absolute freedom to do whatever they want to do, go anywhere they want to go on the entire earth. But let me tell you, we would all be pretty freaked out about that, would we not? I mean, that would be just, oh my goodness. I mean, we'd be afraid to go out. We'd be locking our doors. We'd be, you know, I mean, going this afternoon to Lowe's or wherever and, and getting all kinds of locks and, you know, bars and all this kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. This pit is going to open. And out of that, that choking, stifling smoke is going to come a horde of demons that take the appearance of locust. Now, it's interesting that God calls them locust here. Many times in the Bible, you find that locusts are used by God to bring judgment upon the wickedness of men and of nations. 
And he's done that consistently all through the Old Testament. And what you're seeing here is God in one major way pouring out his judgment upon the wickedness of men and of nations in a worldwide scale. But understand something. These aren't your ordinary, normal, run-of-the-mill, natural, earthly locust. And God wants to make just real sure that we understand that in Revelation chapter 9. Now, uh, listen, locusts were greatly feared in the Bible because the, the, those locusts could come, they could strip a country of every green leaf and every sprout and every stalk right down to the very ground and they could do it in just a, a, a short period of time. When a swarm of locusts does it its thing, a green field is left an absolute desert. Barrenness and desolation stretch as far as the eye can see. In 1866, a plague of locusts invaded Algiers, causing so much destruction that 200,000 people died from the famine that was caused because of the damage to the crops from those locusts. Back in the 1870s, a cloud of locusts darkened the skies in Nebraska. And check this out. This swarm of locusts measured 300 miles long by 100 miles wide. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm just telling you. I remember as a kid watching a movie, and I, I, don't, I don't, I mean, I was just a little thing. And it was showing these locusts come in. Maybe some of you saw this when you were a kid, or maybe you weren't a kid then. Maybe you were old then. But, <clears throat> but man, I'm just telling you, I was just absolutely freaked. You know, here's this incredible sound coming in. And I mean, I was scared to death. And if I saw something 300 miles long, by 100 miles wide, these locusts, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be freaked. The, the worst locust plague in more recent history struck the Middle East in 1952 when in Iran, Iraq, the Jordan, and Saudi Arabia, every green and growing thing was devoured across hundreds of thousands of square miles. The devastation of locusts is just absolutely unbelievable it's it's freaky but what's even more freaky is that these locusts in revelation 9 do not have an insatiable appetite for vegetation they don't attack vegetation in fact in verse 4 they're forbidden to attack the vegetation these locusts attack men and that's not the only difference. Natural locusts are they're stifled by smoke. And it's one way to deal with them. But in verse 3, these actually arise out of the smoke. Natural locusts can be killed. These locusts are invincible. They're supernatural. They're incapable of being killed. We'll see that they have breastplates of iron. Normal locusts have no stinger. These locusts have a sting that is likened to the sting of a scorpion. 
And just so you'd know that these weren't just some, you know, weirded out kind of, you know, natural locust. I want you to look at what God says in verse 11. <clears throat> John says, and they had a king over them. Now that, that seemed just, you know, like another descriptive feature that John's laying out for us. But you know what? When you begin to compare scripture with scripture, like 1 Corinthians chapter 2 commands us to do, what you find is that God dropped a little ditty back in Proverbs 30 that'll rock your world when you see it. Go back there for just a sec. <clears throat> God wants to make sure you understand what's going on in the book of Revelation, so he just, he puts something back here that if you were just having your morning devotions might just slip by you. But when you compare Scripture with Scripture, God's showing you something. Look in Proverbs 30 and verse 27. The locusts have no king. Hey, just for the record, you know, there's going to be some locusts that are going to show up in Revelation chapter 9 that have a king over them. But let me just tell you something. Locusts have no king, God says. Yet go they forth, all of them, by bands. Now go back to Revelation 9. You see, these locusts have a king. And the reason they do is because they're a locust of a hellish species. Some have called them infernal cherubim. They're actually demons who take the form of these unique locusts. And, and, and listen, if you, if you, if you want to get an idea of what this time is going to be like, Joel prophesied about this locust-type judgment that would come on the earth during the tribulation period back in Joel chapter 1 and chapter 2. We don't really have the time to, to turn back there this morning and go through all of that, but let me just explain it to you real quickly. Joel said that when this time comes with these locusts, he says, these locusts, he says they're like a great people and strong. He goes on and he says they're like a great army and they march in ranks like mighty men of war. And he says there are so many of them that they literally darken the very sky. Joel says they're as destructive as a, as a flame of fire. And he says, and nothing, are, are you listening to me? And nothing escapes them. And nothing stops them. He, he says th that they're like horses, and they run like chariots. And he says they jump like grasshoppers from mountaintop to mountaintop. He says, and they sound like the flames of fire that devours the stubble. And what's so to me, I mean, now all of that, if you're really tracking this morning, you're understanding that this is literally going to take place on this planet. I mean, this is, this, is, this is freaky, baby. But listen, what becomes even more freaky, it's so freaky, it, it sounds like a science fiction movie, which is exactly where they get this stuff, folks. I mean, this, this didn't just pop into man's mind. The, the, the reason we love to be entertained by all of that is because there's something in us that knows this is going to take place on this planet. And we like to be entertained by it. It's a weird... We're, we're weird. 
but I'm telling you, nobody will be entertained in the tribulation period when this stuff happens. And, and check this out. You're, you're, you're following what, what's, what's going on with all this stuff that Joel's describing, and I mean, it's worse than your worst nightmare. What, what begins to, to happen is, is he says, they crawl up the sides of walls, these locusts, they climb up the sides of the walls and they enter the windows like a thief. You think you're going to escape from them. You see them coming and you, you get in your house and they crawl up the sides of your house and in your windows. I mean, I'm just telling you, man, it's a freak show. Somebody says, come on, man. I mean, do you really believe all of this stuff? You know what, I, I really, uh, to be quite honest with you, I have no other choice but to believe it. Because you see, the, the same Bible that tells me that God is love, and that tells me that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, the same God tells me in the same book that there's also coming a day of judgment on the earth when demonic scorpion locust will torment Listen, the very people who are living on this planet at this very moment, those people who will not be taken at the rapture of the church. And you see, if I can't trust that to be true, if I can't trust Revelation chapter 9 to be true, then I can't trust all of the pleasant, wonderful, loving things that this book says about God either. You see, in the Bible, it's not like, you know, it's not like a, you know, cafeteria where you say, you know, I, I think I'll have, uh, I think I'll have the, the big plate of love and forgiveness over there and uh, the little side of mercy, if you would, and, oh yeah, pour a little bit of that grace over the top of it, and for dessert, I'll do the heaven thing. But, no, no I don't think I'd care for any of the wrath and the vengeance and the justice and, and the judgment thing. Folks, it's either all true or none of it's true. And if Revelation chapter 9 isn't true, then don't be banking on John 16, 3.16 being true. I mean, we've got to take the whole package. And I guarantee you, Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 11, is just as true and just as literal as John 3.16. But, but let me take you on a quick little journey <clears throat> through these locusts here, and verse by verse. We'll, we'll do it quickly if we can get past this first one. First of all, I want you to understand their location, their location. Now, we've already talked about the fact that in the first three verses of chapter 9, these locusts arise out of this place that is called the bottomless pit. Now, what is this place? And where is this place? And, and now, now, listen, this is very important for us to understand because this is not the first time or the last time that we're going to run into the, well, hopefully we're not going to run into the bottomless pit, but we're going to, we're going to see it quite a few more times in the book of Revelation. It's mentioned three times in this passage, in verse 1, verse 2, then in verse 11. We'll also see it in chapter 11 and verse 7. We'll see it again in chapter 17 and verse 8. And we'll see it in chapter 20 and verses 1 and 3. So what, what is this place? Okay, well, obviously, it is a pit. 
and it is a pit that has no bottom. It is bottomless. Okay, and you see now, the reason we're going through this is because that freaks a lot of people out. Because they say that a pit with no bottom is a, is a contradiction. And so what they want to do is they want to make this fictitious, and this is a little fairy tale thing, and it's symbolic and, and all that kind of stuff. Because how in the world could you have a pit with no bottom? Well, when you understand where the Bible says the pit is located, and it's really not all that hard to understand because the Bible indicates that there is such a pit located in the center of the earth. Now, the center of the earth is described biblically, as you, if you just begin to look at what's going on there, as a, as a hollowed out area in the midst of this thing that we call the earth. The scientists describe it as a, a rolling, tumbling mass of molten rock and liquid fire. And that's why when the Earth's surface opens in a volcanic explosion, you know what starts pouring out of that thing? All that molten rock, that, that lava and fire, it comes flowing down the sides of, of the mountain. But you see, <clears throat> this, this hollowed out, rolling, tumbling center would be a pit that has sides but no bottom. Are you visualizing that? You see, it's a pit and it's rolling and tumbling in its center and it has sides but there is no bottom. And that's why when God records the fall of Satan in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 9 and 15, but listen to what it says. God says, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming, and thou shalt be brought down to hell, listen to it, to the sides of the pit. It is a pit that has sides but no bottoms because no bottom because it's located at the center of the earth. Something interesting in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, the people of Korah rebelled against God. And in Numbers 16 and verses 30 to 33, what took place there is the earth, the ground on the surface of the earth, it literally opened up, the Bible says, and it swallowed the people alive along with their houses and everything that they owned. And the scripture says that it all went down quickly into the, listen to it, into the pit. And then the earth, the scripture says, closed upon them. In Luke chapter 16, and, and let's go to this one, Luke chapter 16. It lets us know more about this place at the center of the earth. Luke chapter 16. <clears throat> And in Luke 16, Jesus is telling the story of the rich man and, and Lazarus. And a lot of people want to make this out to be a, a, a parable, but please understand, number one, Jesus always identified very clearly when he was giving a parable. Number two, parables never, ever, ever in the New Testament ever use proper names like you see used in this account. Jesus is giving us here an account of something that literally happened in a literal place 
to literal people. And it's about a rich man who died without knowing God. He wasn't a believer. And it's also about a, a, a poor beggar by the name of Lazarus that used to beg for the crumbs that would fall from this rich man's table when they were on the earth. And Lazarus also died, but he died as a believer. And so verse 22 says, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. You know, this is also the place that is called in the, the scripture paradise. It's where Jesus told the thief on the cross that he would be with him that very day that they both died. And what it was, was it was a place of rest where the Old Testament saints went to await the resurrection of Christ after the offering of himself as the once-for-all sacrifice for man's sin. They would go to paradise. They would go to Abraham's bosom. And that's where Lazarus went when he died. But notice at the end of verse 22, when the rich man died and they buried his physical body in the ground, verse 23 says that in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And evidently this bottomless pit and hell, Abraham's bosom or paradise are located in the center of the earth being separated by this great gulf. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights where? In the heart of the earth. And that's why when the Apostle Paul was talking about what happened when Christ died and rose again in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, listen to it. He said, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, that's all of those that were in Abraham's bosom, in the paradise, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first, where? Into the lower parts of the earth. So there's no doubt in my mind as we compare Scripture with Scripture that that's where the pit is that John describes in Revelation chapter 9. It's across the gulf from paradise, from Abraham's bosom. Now, let's go back to Revelation chapter 9. This is that pit that John describes as bottomless. And when the Lord Jesus Christ takes his key and opens it, verse 2 of Revelation 9 says, There arose smoke out of the pit. Now, listen, not symbolic smoke. 
real smoke that is going to be in our Earth's atmosphere and is going to pollute the very air that men on this planet are breathing. The same kind of smoke that comes out of your chimney. The same kind of smoke that pollutes the air when there's a volcanic eruption. Verse 2 goes on to say that it was smoke as the smoke of a great furnace. Let me tell you, folks, it's a great defining term for you to understand the bottomless pit. It's a great furnace in the center of the earth. In the smoke of the great furnace, it says in the middle of the verse, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke, verse 3 says, come these, these locusts upon the earth. Millions and millions of them, perhaps billions. And notice next, that's their location. Notice their lamentation. Their lamentation. As we've already seen, as we were just trying to get the overview of this, these locusts have the ability to inflict upon men incredible torment, where men will be left in incredible lamentation. Verse 3 goes on to say, look in the middle of the verse, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And drop down to verse 5. And it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And I don't know how much you know about the sting of a, a scorpion, but history records the fact that ancient Roman soldiers were famous for their ability to take incredible pain without even flickering an eye. But it is said that when they would be stung by a scorpion, just like women, they would scream and writhe in pain. Men who knew how to t take pain. It's it said that the, the sting of, of a scorpion is one of the most painful things that a, that a person can endure. They, they say that that when that venom enters into your body, it, 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 it feels as if it has set your veins and your nervous system on fire. And, and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about an earthly, uh, earthly scorpion. The sting is, is intense, and, and, it, and it lasts for, for quite a while. I mean, several minutes of unbelievable pain. You probably somewhere along the way in your life been stung by a bee or a wasp, and you know how, man, just right now. But I mean, hey, 30 seconds, and you're like, yeah, you know. And a scorpion. Just so much more intense than a bee or a wasp or, or, or something like that. Just unbelievable pain. But now listen. The pain from these demonic creatures goes on with that incredible intensity, listen folks, for five solid months. I mean, are, are, you, are you tracking with me? I mean, for five solid months, once you're stung by one of these locusts, the pain does not let up. It's just like it just happened for five solid months. It's so absolutely excruciating that it says that men would rather die, literally 
die than endure that pain any longer. Verse 6 says, And in those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. Do you understand what that's saying? Men and women will be in such pain that they'll be literally trying to commit suicide to escape the pain. But what gets even more freaky than that is that all of their attempts don't work. They will, listen, what the scripture says in verse 6, they will attempt to kill themselves but their attempt won't work. Now just imagine that, folks. People will take out guns and put them to their temples and will pull the trigger and the gun will leave a, a gaping wound in their head. And they will be in pain unbelievably. They've already been in pain. But it won't kill them. They'll slash their wrists with a knife and they'll bleed. But it won't kill them. They'll take the knife and start jabbing it into their heart and they'll bleed. But they won't die. And listen, I'm not trying to sensationalize all of this. I'm trying to get us to see this is literally going to take place on this planet to the people that we know and love that are all around us every single day, and it's going to happen to those people unless we will do something to get those people the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ before it's too late. And I'm going through all of this, and I'm promising you, I'm not trying to sensationalize it, but if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to understand, I want you to understand this is the thing that God of the universe says is going to take place on this planet. And I want you to understand this so that you can make a calculated decision about what you're going to do with Jesus Christ today. Because we have no reason for believing that his return to this planet, that event in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 will not be today. Just an, an incredible. And, and do you understand, folks, that what John is describing here is just a foretaste of what hell is going to be like? Because uh, do, you, do you see the connection? You, you see, in hell, people will be in excruciating torment without relief and without the possibility of being set free by death. Only hell doesn't last for five months. You see, I mean, we're, we're going through all of this, and we're like, oh my, I, I don't know about you, I mean, I almost get hypered out, you know? I mean, I almost feel like I'm going through some kind of an attack, you know? Just where you almost can't breathe when you really begin to understand what is going to take place on this planet. But listen, this is nothing. We're talking five months. When we're talking about hell, we're talking about excruciating pain and torment that doesn't last five months, but continues on forever 
and ever and ever and ever. And that brings us to the next thing, their limitation. Their limitation, verse 4, And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads, and to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. As horrible as the, the torment is going to be, God sets certain limit, limitations on what they can and cannot do and how far they can take it and how long uh, they can actually do it. First of all, they're forbidden to attack the vegetation of the earth as, as normal locusts do. But they are permitted to attack men. But not all men, only those who don't have the seal of God in their foreheads. In other words, God limits them from attacking the 144,000. And then they have the ability to sting men and torment them, but not kill them. And even then, only for a limited time, for five months, which, coincidentally enough, is the time limit of an ordinary locust lifespan, five months, from May to September, which just happens to be the same amount of time that the judgment of the flood was upon the earth, five months. So they have incredible power, and, and God unleashes them on the earth, but he still sets their limitations. And then notice next in verses 7 through 10, their likeness. Their likeness. Now, the, these were real creatures that, that John saw, or real, real somethings. And, and to be quite honest about it, I, I don't know for sure just exactly what it was that he was seeing. I, just, I do know this, and I feel like this is something that we need to calculate into this whole equation of what we're studying here this morning. I do know this, that John was a first century man writing about things that he was seeing in the early part of the 21st century using first century vocabulary. Okay? You following that? Here's a first century man. He's catapulted to see things that are taking place basically in this period of time that we're presently living in. And he's got a describe the things that he sees using the only vocabulary that he knows first century vocabulary and it's it's apparent that John has never seen anything like what he's seen he's never seen anything like this before because all the way through here he doesn't tell us what this creature is what he does through this whole passage is he tells us what it was like and you'll you'll, you'll notice as we go through verses 7 through 10 the repeated use of like and as and we've talked about the fact that those are the what two most important words in the Bible right like and as and this chapter records more times those terms like and as than any other chapter in the entire Bible watch what it, how it goes verse 7 and the shapes of the locust were like unto horses prepared unto battle and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold and their faces were as the faces of men and they had hair as the hair of women and their teeth were 
as the teeth of lions, and they had breastplates as it were the breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle, and they had tails like unto scorpions, and they, there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. Now, if you talk to somebody who fought in the Vietnam War, what they're going to tell you is that John sounds like a first century man describing a cobra helicopter. That all of the those things describe the, the shape and the sound and, and they'll tell you about the, the, the sting in their tail could quite possibly be the, the artillery that's coming out of the back of that, that, that helicopter. Uh, this sting quite possibly could be chemical warfare that has the ability to cause you to have pain that is making you feel like you're on fire on the inside but will not kill you and the pain of which lasts for, for five months. And to be quite honest with you, I'm not sure what John saw. The only thing that I have a hard time with that the whole deal is that, that these things came out of the bottomless pit. And what John is describing here is not human war. I, I don't know. Maybe John saw the demon possession of an earthly army. I don't know that either. I just go back to that deal in Joel and have a hard time seeing those helicopters climbing up the side of the houses and innuendos. <laughs> to be quite honest with you, I personally believe that these are some kind of half-human half animal totally demonic beings that are ten times more freaky than a helicopter ever thought of being that is somehow the composite of a, a horse a man a woman a lion a locust and a scorpion and, and you know we, we don't have time to get into all of this but you know what if you go back and you look into Greek mythology and if you look at all of the, the false religions on this planet you know what they all use this half man half something you know what they got that stuff from somewhere folks and I believe that's what we're, we're dealing with here and then notice lastly their leader their leader in verse 11 John says and they had a king over them now we already saw that ordinary locusts don't according to Proverbs 30 verse 27 but these from the bottomless pit do. They had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. And we talked about this angel back in, in Revelation chapter 6 and, and verse 8 when we opened that fourth seal. We saw that he is the death angel. And he is the king over the bottomless pit. And you'll notice that God inspires John to write his name here in two languages, Hebrew and Greek, the, the two original languages of, of the Bible. And in both languages, the name means the same thing. It means destroyer. And folks, that's exactly 
what he will lead these demonic cherubim to do. To come upon this planet and destroy. And I believe that God gave his name both in the, the Hebrew and the Greek because he wants us to know that both Jew and Gentile alike will become the prey of this demonic king who is lord over these demonic creatures who will invade this planet and you will not escape them what john portrays here is that these creatures are intelligent they're insidious they're indivisible they're insensitive they're injurious they're intolerable they're invincible and they are inescapable there's only listen now listen there's only two things that'll keep them from you if you're not saved here this morning now, now listen if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior what we've read about today is not some wild-eyed fanatic from a Baptist church that was blowing and going about something that he concocted. I'm just telling you, I'm weird. I'm just not probably weird enough to come up with something that incredible. But it is going to take place on this planet. There's only two things that will keep it from happening to you if you're here today and don't know Christ the first thing is that if you die before the tribulation period begins and you what you won't you won't go through that what you will go through is a torment 10 trillion times worse because if you die today without knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior you go from this existence into hell. Literal, flaming, burning hell. Your other option, which is a much better choice, is to get saved. <laughs> I, you know, when I, I was 16 years of age when somebody came and told me the message that God loves this world, but because he's holy, he's got to judge the sin and wickedness of this world. And because, because he doesn't want to judge mankind, and he doesn't want to pour out his wrath and vengeance upon man, God himself became a man and came to this planet to die your death and suffer your hell, so you didn't have to go through any of that. Now, I was just a kid, okay? I was just 16 years of age. I heard that story, and it was a no-brainer to me. I mean, it's like, oh my goodness. If the God of this universe would love me like that, and there is something to fear if I don't, this is, this is a no-brainer. We've gone through all of this today, and folks, you know what? If, if the Bible had, had missed on some of its prediction through the centuries, I, I'd say, yeah, maybe it's going to miss on this too. It, it's never missed yet. It's not going to miss on this one. And, and so, you know what? This is really a no-brainer, isn't it? 
God loves you. He doesn't want you to go through judgment, but if you don't, judgment's coming. And check this out. Look at verse 12. One woe is past. And behold, there come two more, two woes more hereafter. I'm just telling you, I I can't imagine it getting any worse than this. You know what he's saying? It it gets worse than this. It's just the first one. There's two more to go. But today, God's given us all a a, a wonderful opportunity. Every one of us that know that the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior, you, you know what? If this doesn't stir something in your heart to get the message of the gospel to the people of this planet who don't really understand what the book is all about, if this doesn't cause you to have something that wells up inside of you, then God help you. I don't know what will, to be quite honest with you. For those of you that are here this morning and don't know Christ, I'm just telling you, I don't know how to make it any clearer to you. I don't know how to warn you any more fervently than I've tried to warn you today. And, And God today, with open arms, is waiting to embrace you you will embrace his son let's pray now if you're here this morning and don't know Christ you, you've got just a little while to, to contemplate before we leave here what all of this is going to mean in your life. In just a moment, we're going to give you an invitation. Our pastors are going to be on the, the front side of, of this room, up by the, the doors. They're going to wait here as this service is concluded because we're inviting you today to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. These men can answer any question that you might have. They can give you some biblical direction. They can show you from the Word of God how today Jesus Christ can become the Lord of your life, how He will forgive all of your sins and remove all of that, and you will have no judgment whatsoever to fear we we do invite you to to come and again in the next few seconds now and minutes you will contemplate what you'll do with christ and we 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 urge you that if god is speaking to your heart today that you respond to him and lord i do pray for our friends that are here today, our loved ones. We're here this morning and have never received Christ. Lord, we thank you that you are a holy God and that you will judge sin. Lord, we thank you that you judged sin on the cross and on your Son so that we did not have to endure that judgment. We know that hell, you told us so clearly, was created for the devil and his angels. 
but because you're holy sinful men will go there if they reject your son and so today we pray that your spirit would convict men and women and young people in this room of sin and of judgment and of your righteousness we pray father you draw people to yourself in this service today and oh god would you please help those of us that do know you have something that will well up inside of us to get the message of the gospel out while we still have the time before these awful judgments come upon the very people that we see every day. Lord, do your work. In Jesus' name.